Welcome to TechTastic, the podcast that explores the cutting-edge world of technology and its impact on society. New breakthroughs and developments are revolutionizing the world around us, presenting exciting opportunities as well as complex challenges. We'll explore the big ideas and key players driving these transformations as we seek to understand the implications of these advancements for our lives, our communities, and our planet. Join us on this journey of discovery and exploration as we navigate the fascinating and ever-evolving world of technology. This is TechTastic. Jonathan, welcome to It's TechTastic. It's wonderful to have you here. Thanks for having me, Chris. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. There's a lot of things that we could talk about going through your profile. You talked about find your good idea faster with AI. Using AI practically rather than hypothetically, how do you propose we uh, find good ideas faster with AI? What's your process look like? Well, this is one of my favorite questions. Every time you someone's really successful, I say, how many good ideas do you have per year? It's always one to two. I've never met someone who goes 300. It's always one or two. A lot of bad ideas and a couple of good ones. And that's normal. So for, as a beginner, you don't realize that. So you think my first idea is going to be a winner. Most people think your first idea was a good one and that my first idea is a good one, but it wasn't, right? That's why you're smiling. It's terrible. It's so yeah. Normal. Yeah, my first idea got me a cease and desist from Walmart, and they don't mess around. Like, that, <laughs> oh, you know, like, oh, they have a lot of lawyers. Like, you're just curious which law firm picked you because they have so many to choose from. And I hadn't even made a hundred dollars yet from the idea. I was like, boy, I'll just desist on this one. So it's not making any money. And that's really important to understand. So for a beginner, we often compare someone's front of house, what they have on stage to our backstage, which is dealing with the kids, dealing with family, trying bad ideas. So what happens is we test an idea and the worst cap is if it works a little bit. You spend six months on an idea, you go, well, I made $100 over six months. You say, I made $100, not I lost $15 per hour every hour I was working because we're programmed that way. And we go, well, I'm gonna put in three more months because I don't wanna admit that I wasted six months. This is the sunk <laughs> cost fallacy. This is what people do playing Jack Jack at two in the morning. Just give me one more hand, I'll just double my bet. If I win this bet, I recover all the money I lost, right? That's why casinos look so nice because people fall for this. What's beautiful now about practical AI is that I can have an idea, test it, deploy it in a single day and find out if it's a good or bad idea the next day. What this means is that I don't have to double down on a bad idea early. I don't have to put a bunch of time and money and I don't get emotionally invested, which is the most dangerous thing. So the fact that I can test and deploy ideas quickly, something that takes six months now takes a week. Something that used to take three or four weeks now takes me a single day or two hours. A couple of years ago to go from coloring book idea to it's published six weeks at the shortest with working with an artist to draw each page. Now I can go from idea to it's on Amazon in two hours. So that wow. means that shortening of the cycle means when I have a bad idea and I do, I don't feel bad and I don't feel attached to it, the need to defend it because I didn't spend enough time on it to get that emotional attachment. So if you hate one of my older coloring books, it hurts my feelings. I spent six weeks on it. If you hate one of the new ones. I'm like, man, it happens two hours. I'm okay with it. The beauty is that if it takes me two hours to deploy and it's a good idea, I can spend two hours tomorrow and have a second book in the series. So it allows me to be agile. And this applies to every single category. Whereas in the past, designing a logo would take me either cost hundreds of dollars or take weeks of dealing back and forth with the designers getting madder and madder because I'm asking for revisions. I'm not sure what I want. We've all had that experience, right? We finally go, you know what? I don't want to fight you anymore. I'll just take two revisions back. I don't want to. Now I can <laughs> test and every time I'm using an AI art generator, generate four new designs every 30 seconds and no one's feeling get hurt. I've removed the emotion so I can get to my perfect design faster because everyone has said to the designer, I'll know when I see it, which is the thing they don't want to hear. I don't know what I want. Just keep doing things that are like more kinetic. And they're like, kinetic's not really a word. <laughs> avoid confrontation. 
get to your result faster. And a lot of these smaller things add up to a really big business. So the ability to write blog posts faster, the ability to research things faster, like read a book faster. Like you can say the AI, just give me the notes. For example, you could have the AI read my book and say, hey, come up with 10 questions I should ask Jonathan. Now as the human, you'll read it and go, seven of these are bad, three of these are very good. That's how you can become a better podcast interviewer, right? It's like, no one has time to read the book. I don't expect anyone to read my book because who could do that, right? Reading a book every day. You watch those big television shows, they have a staff of 300. There's a person whose job is just to read every guest's book and tell the host those three questions. Well, now an AI can replace that person's job, probably why they're on strike. So that's the kind of thing you can do at a startup is think every task I do, how can I do it faster, more efficiently, or more conversationally with the help of an AI? And that's really the beginning of what's possible. Actually, as you were saying that, a recent topic that's come up a lot within my own team is uh, tech debt and, and how we get to tech debt and, and it's related. So tech debt is really just an accumulation of like some cost fallacies. It's something that we decided to do in the past that made sense then, turned out to be a bad decision now, but we won't address it because we've already spent the time and money on it. And it gets embedded in not just technology, but process, uh, choices of vendors. I mean, just name it. Uh, even when you're talking about like the coloring book, we chose to go with that print publisher because they gave us the best deal at the time. There's better options now, whatever. Those things get embedded in. And I want everybody to have more of an agile mindset. And by that, I mean, everything is ephemeral. Every decision was a point in time. and it's changed. We need to be able to reevaluate those, which doesn't mean always question everything. Sometimes it's good enough, but it does mean when it's not good enough, you need to question it. So the best thing to do is to have a process for that. And it can be every six months, I look at all my outs and say, what am I spending money on? How much do I use this tool? Is there an alternative? So even for me, like, oh, I've spent years building up an account with certain tools, like a, a certain writing tool. That's another AI writing tool. Like, oh, I have all these credits with them. But I'm like, I haven't logged in in three months. Why am I still paying them $1,000 a year? But it's hard because they, they give you all these different prizes that you lose if you lose the account. And that's a hard conversation. But I can write a better article that passes every AI, AI test using ChatGPT. Almost every single tool I can get a better result ChatGPT and ChatGPT is $20 a month and it beats out all these tools that are hundreds or even thousands of dollars a month. It replaces a lot of those. So it is this thing though, that we get used to a system and everyone's like, well, Jonathan, why do you build your websites on WordPress? Well, because it's what I've been doing since 2007. Not really a very good answer, right? Sometimes yeah. you go, I don't want to learn new things. And sometimes it is exactly that. I've learned the system that works really well. Learning a new way of doing things has its own uh, time. And as we get older, we get a little bit grumpier about learning new things or new processes. <laughs> so it's very normal. This is a problem everyone has because once a company gets like you're recurring, they never want to let you go. So it is important to look at what you're investing money in and say, has this tool become no longer useful? Has the time passed it by? And there are certain tools that I had in my tech stack. A great example is the way page builders were built five or six years ago, those tools that were launched five or six years ago were much slower and you have a tendency to fail Google PageSpeed Analytics. Your site loads in four seconds instead of one and a half, simply because those were built on an old architecture. The only way those tools can work is if they're built brand new on top of Gutenberg. A little bit technical, a little bit boring, but basically it means a tool for the last two years will always be better than a tool from five years ago, even though they have a larger base and they have a bunch more money built in because they're built on tech that's been replaced. That was hard. Stripping that out of my website was a really hard process because anytime you try to strip it, something that's on every single page, massive undertaking. But 
then you get the result of my websites faster. People don't complain about my website speed and I get more customers, right? Like you didn't start a conversation by going, Jonathan, visit your website to me 14 seconds to load the homepage, which is what it used to do. <laughs> it used to be like, load my website, go to the bathroom, come back, it's ready, which is crazy, but it's because I didn't pay that much attention to it because SEO is such a small part of my business. You mentioned a bunch of the different things that you do, like designing a logo or, or building a web page, doing some research. Personally, I've pulled together a collection of AI agents that do things I want, or or sometimes it's a chat GPT plugin, that type of thing, that I use on the regular basis. Do you have your template list that you'll go through and say, oh, I'm doing this today, I use this tool, or is it always changing? 90% of the time it's chat GPT. So what people don't realize, because the onboarding of chat GPT is trash, what they built is one of the best tools in the world with one of the worst onboarding processes I've ever seen. The nightmare for a writer, someone who writes books, is to sit down at a typewriter with a giant stack of blank pieces of paper and they go write a book. And ChatGPT, that's what they give you. They go, here's a blank page okay. with an AI. And now they give you like prompts that you can test with. And they're four of the worst prompts I've ever seen. One of them is like how to make peanut butter. I, if you need an AI to help you with that, you have a problem. <laughs> like, there's recipes is not hard to find. Like it's a bad use case. So that's the problem. Even their homepage, if you visit the OpenAI homepage, it literally looks like someone said, hey, what's the worst homepage we can make? More, and then someone goes, more boring. I said more boring. And right, it's, un, it's almost astounding that they built such a good tool, but it's so boring. So that's one of the challenges. But the thing about ChatGBT is that it's so much more powerful than people realize. It can do every single type of task you're thinking of. You just have to have the right set of prompts in it. So prompt engineering is kind of this market that's entered in between where people give you like a prompt. So I have a lot of prompts I copy and paste that can do really powerful tasks and it kind of converts it from a tool that can do anything. That's the challenge is that when something's really powerful, it's very hard to learn. Like it's really hard to learn how to fly a plane. There's so many switches. Whereas learning to drive a motorcycle is very easy because there's about four in the cars in between, right? So that's the reason that a lot of people, I think 86% of people have tried JetGPT zero times. And then the 14% that have tried it, most have tried it once and been like, this is too hard. So they have a major problem in their onboarding. It's very interesting because they should have ChatGPT write an onboarding process. So once you overcome that learning difficulty, you can start to get better and better. For example, you can load in specific people. So I have ChatGPT, I load in a copywriter and it's a specific person I know when I'm writing one type of copy and I use a different copywriter when it's a different type I know. And because I know them, that was right. It knows who I am. When I was editing my new book, I put it into my voice and we kept getting into fights. I was like, stop doing that. And he was like, I do what I want. I was like, it really is me. Like, right. It's exactly why I didn't want a twin <laughs> and ocean profiles. So you can give it a super yeah. detailed personality profile and it will be that personality. You can give it a skill chain, which is you're going to this, then this, then this, then this in order. And it will create a very specific character. So knowing that it can do really advanced things is there's kind of the sky is the limit. We're still figuring out what everything can do, but most tools are using ChatGPT's API. So what you really need to understand is that there's only two tools out there. There's ChatGPT and there's Stable Diffusion. Stable Diffusion is the image generator. Every single image generator out there is built on top of Stable Diffusion, which is a free open source tool. So I use MidJourney a lot. All they have done is add an engine on top of Stable Diffusion, and then I run it through their graphics card instead of locally. Same thing for Leonardo AI, great AI tool, still stable diffusion run on their servers instead of my local computer. So once you realize, oh, everyone's using the same two tools, it starts to even the playing field because you go, oh, I just need one from each category. You don't need 10 image generators. You don't need four text generators. You just need one of each and you can accomplish about 99% of what you'd want to do. 
It's not technically true, but it's close enough. There's Anthropic with Claude. There's Meta with their Code Llama. So there's different technologies at the base of them. But for the most part, you're right. Just come down to, am I doing generative in the form of visual or sound? Because there's some for that too. Or am I doing it for text? And I only really need two tools. I don't need 50. Yeah, like Claude and ChatGPT aren't going to give you significantly different answers all the time. There are areas like Claude is better for a longer text. It can handle a longer prompt. How often does that come up for your average user? It's not that important for most people. So there are minor differences, which are kind of like differences without a distinction. But for the majority of use cases, you just pick the one you like, which is either the Facebook one, the Google one, or the OpenAI one, which is Microsoft's. And for image generation, again, they're not significantly different. You're going to basically get images that are drawn the way you want from one. It's very easy to think, oh, I need to master each of these tools. And that's when you start to get like a low ROI on your time. Like you said, oh, I spend more time and get to get tiny, tiny changes. One of the reasons that I, I was thinking about this in context of starting a company, doing all the research, is that when you're first proposing something and you want to go out there and raise money against it and you want to go build a company against it, there's a ton of due diligence both you need to do, your investors will do, and it's a massive amount of time suck. But there are tools that are like ChatGPT, Claude, HeyPy, whatever, that could, if they had current context, if they were able to use the web. Well, now OpenAI has made it so that with ChatGPT, you can have the REST interface so you can actually do it. But to do that, it's still, to your point about the user interface is subpar. It's really oriented towards the tech nerd that's already fairly versed in this space and just giving them a better tool. And what some of the those other tools, the agents and the plugins have been really good at is that they've gone and made the interface better. So if you're going to go do this specific thing, here's a tool that's really been oriented on making ChatGPT do that thing. I'm going to go write an article on this technical subject. Great. There's a tool for that. You could do it in ChatGPT, but then you have to go learn ChatGPT, which hasn't made it very easy to do, but doesn't invalidate your point. You only need to know the two tools. It's just that the, there can be shortcuts. Yeah, absolutely. But the most important thing for someone who's kind of thinking about these tools is to go, it's not optional. In two or three years, nobody who can't use an AI tool will be able to have a job because you wouldn't hire an accountant who goes, yeah, I don't do calculators. I don't do spreadsheets. So in the same way, your choice is someone who's faster or someone who's slower, you always choose faster. So we're in a really cool window of time now where it's optional. That's going to disappear in three to five years for small businesses and for employees. So the best thing to do is now is just dive in and go, you know what, I'm going to play around with this tool. I'm going to watch some YouTube training videos and just copy and paste and see what happens and go, okay, I, this one works for me. This one didn't work for me. I like this style. I didn't like that style. And the final thing I'll say is that every time you start, start with a question, say, I always say, ChatGPT, I want to do this. What information do you need from me to get that goal? So by starting with a question, you move that garbage in, garbage out risk because you say, this is what I want. What data do you need from me to give me the result that I want? And it will bypass a lot of the things that are causing early users to hit a wall. So Jonathan Green, thank you. That was wonderful advice. Get in, get going, uh, start learning, become the 1%. So your website is servenomaster.com, that's right? Yep. You said that you're spending a lot of time discerning between real AI and not real AI and works and doesn't work. Is that where somebody might find that information, be able to learn more? Yep. Everything is there. If you go to servenomaster.com forward slash AI, that's the page where I put everything about my new AI books, what I'm talking about, what I'm researching. But again, servenomaster.com, you can Google it. Every single result is me. The first like hundred results are all me. So serve no master. You're going to, you're going to get me. You're not going to get anyone else. 
Fantastic. Thank you for joining me on the show today. It was wonderful to have you. Thank you for having me. And that's a wrap for this episode of TechTastic. I want to thank you personally for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Until then, keep exploring and stay curious.